Luke's introduction. Chapters 1 and 2 we know is Luke's introduction. We kind of call it, it's quite a long introduction, but in the grand scheme of the whole book, we consider Luke 1 and 2 as the introduction to the book. Um, Luke, he's an educated doctor. He tells us in chapter 1, right at the beginning, that he's seeking to write an orderly account so that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Uh, Luke's seeking to show how the story of Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, and it will bring in God's reign and blessing to the whole world. And so each gospel account has its own unique purpose. You know, we have four gospel accounts of Jesus, and they each have their own purpose and unique way it goes about it. Luke uh, is very factual in his uh, presentation. He uses eyewitness testimony to gather material. Uh, historians and, and scholars, they like the book of Luke because there's a lot of uh, specific names and kind of who's in charge at that time. Um, not, not just for the eyewitness testimony, which they like, but they also like that, hey, Luke accounts like, hey, this guy was in charge at this time. And it's very specific as to what goes on in various time periods. And so historians like the book of Luke to piece dates together. And so Luke's goal of recounting events in an orderly fashion so that you may be sure that Jesus is the messianic king who came to redeem the world is done in so in a way of uh, presenting witnesses almost here in his introduction. He starts by presenting witnesses. In chapter one, a couple, actually two and three weeks ago, we had spiritual witnesses witnessing about this child who was to come. So we had stuff like an angel of the Lord came to Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. The angel of the Lord came to Zechariah and said, hey, you're going to have a son who will come, who will be the forerunner of a Messiah. Uh, The angel Gabriel, if you remember in chapter one, came to Mary, tells her that she'll bear the son of God. Uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. When Mary comes to visit her and in the womb, the baby leaps for joy, which is quite the descriptive visual in the womb. And so now in chapter two, Luke's going to recount the testimony of different human witnesses of this boy that has been born. And so Matt finished off a couple weeks ago in chapter two, verse seven, where Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, laid him in a manger because there's no room for him at the inn. And so this week, we're going to see three different human witnesses testify about this boy who has been born. And then at the end, we're actually, the boy is going to testify about himself even. So let's dive in, take a look at the first set of witnesses. But first, before we get into the word, will you stand with me? Because it's not fair that I have to stand by myself this whole time. So stand with me. We're going to pray as we get into the word. Lord, Thank you for this time together. Uh, Thank you for your word that we have an orderly account that shows us who Jesus is. That you sent people to um, gather material and eyewitness testimony so that we can be sure of the things that we've been taught. That you are the messianic king. That you've come uh, to save Israel and to save the Gentiles alike. Lord, that through your son dying on the cross for me, uh, bearing the weight of my sin and then raising again three days later like he did just last week, we we celebrated uh, that we have eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. And we just praise you for that this morning. Uh, Just help 
the name of Jesus be clear this morning. Um, Help us put your son, Jesus Christ, in the rightful place that he should be in the king of our hearts this morning. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. Let's look at uh, verse 8, chapter 2. Thank you for standing with me. Appreciate it. Chapter 2, verse 8. It'll come up on your screen for you too, but you should read it in your Bible. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So in the same region being the Bethlehem region where Mary gave birth to this boy, there's some dirty shepherds hanging out in the Bethlehem region, playing cards, probably uh, keeping watch over their flock. Some people um, actually speculate that this group of shepherds may have been in charge of the flock for the temple. We know that the temple had a flock near the Bethlehem region because what would happen in the temple is twice a day, every day, they would sacrifice a lamb in the morning and in the afternoon. So they, that's a lot of, it's a lot of lambs being sacrificed every day, twice a day. So they had, they had their own flock that produced clean animals for the temple, known as the temple's flock. So there's speculation that, hey, maybe, maybe not, but maybe these shepherds were the ones that were caring for the unblemished sacrificial lambs. And to them came an angel of the Lord, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Any uh, King James? King James? Yeah, are you original OG King James, Carrie? OG or new King James? Nice. Don't even know what that means, does it? Hey, yesterday, if you, any men here that weren't at men's breakfast yesterday, what's your problem, huh? <laughs> Come on out to men's breakfast. This just shows the age gap. We had trivia yesterday. Man, I didn't know any of these trivia questions. They were all like questions. I think they were from the 1920s. <laughs> we're getting trivia. I didn't know any of these questions. Anyways, men's breakfast. Come on. And this just shows our age gap. What does it say? How, how, afraid, were the, how afraid were the shepherds, Carrie? They were sore afraid. Have we heard this one before? They were sore afraid. This isn't your average fear of spiders or average fear of uh, speaking in front of people on stages. These men were sore afraid. They were frightened out of one's wits, it would say, as this angel appears and the glory of the Lord shines around them. And look at verse 10. It says this, And the angel said to them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Stop right there. I just want to look at this quickly because this is important to our understanding of who this baby is. Uh, Bring back up verse 11. For me, and look quickly at what the angel says about this baby. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And within that simple message from the angel, we have three things we have the mission of the baby, he's a Savior. We have a title for this baby, he is the Christ, literally meaning he is the anointed one. 
And we have an authority for this baby. He is the Lord. And so a baby is born who is a savior, who is the Christ, who is the Lord. And the first announcement by this angel comes to a bunch of shepherds. And we've talked about this before. We often talk about this when shepherds come up here. Is that shepherds are not sweet little guys living the American dream, traveling around in their sprinter camper van retrofitted to an awesome little van, like with no worries or cares that we see on Instagram. Like shepherds are not, that's not who shepherds are. Shepherds are dirty. They're gross. (laughs) They're unclean. They're lowly on the social hierarchy because they'd have to deal with blood and birthing animals and and dead animals. And and they wouldn't have time to go to the temple to get themselves clean. And, And to these unclean humans, In the middle of a field comes a message of good tidings. Today, a Savior, the Anointed One, the Lord, has been born. Look at verse 13, what else happens to them. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. A pretty awesome scene here, eh? Just imagine being in the middle of a field and a multitude of heavenly hosts they show up praising and, and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he's well pleased. The proper response to the message of good news, the proper response to the birth of a savior, to the birth of the Christ, the birth of the Lord, the angels say glory to God, the proper response. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Probably a good idea. Verse 16, and they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. So the shepherds show up, and what do they find? Just like they were told, Mary, Joseph, and the baby lying in a manger. And they bear witness to Joseph and Mary and everyone that's willing to listen about this amazing baby that has been born in Bethlehem. And they've returned back to their work, glorifying and praising God, friends, the proper response to seeing the Savior, to seeing the Christ, to seeing your Lord, glorify and praise God. So the shepherds, they head back to their duties, and and Mary treasured these things in her heart, it says. And this will be a common theme for Mary as we go throughout Luke 2 here. As various witnesses come to her and, and, and talk to her and tell her about what they've heard about this baby she's just had, that she has a sense of just seeking and understanding and trying to figure out everything that's being told to her. Because we, we often like to put Mary in, uh, like as we just read, we put Mary in a place of deity almost, of, of not remembering that this is a young girl. She's not a young girl in perfect control of everything going on. She's a young lady. She, she, she's a virgin. She's giving birth to a child that an angel says will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And now she's nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey going to a town where she gives birth in a 
stable where there's no room for them at an inn and these gross shepherds come along and they say, hey, guess what? We just saw a multitude of heavenly hosts in, in the sky. And this angel told us that this is the Christ. I mean, just another normal Tuesday afternoon for Mary. But Mary carefully pondered all these things and treasured them. No doubt Luke would have interviewed her, which I think is why we know these specific things about Mary, that Luke would have interviewed Mary. And that's the reason we have these specific details that that no one else other than Mary would know. So the story goes on as the boy continues to grow. Look at verse 21, says this, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so at eight days, as told by the law in the book of uh, Leviticus, an Israelite boy was to be circumcised And traditionally, that was when they would get their name. And now we know they gave Jesus the name that was told to them, told to be given to him from the angel. They call him Jesus, Yehoshua, directed by the angel before conception. And so Leviticus has more laws surrounding children being born than just circumcision at eight days. Uh, In the book of Leviticus, actually, where it talks about circumcision, it keeps going on and talks about purification laws and laws regarding presentation to children at the temple. So let's read quickly verse 24 in Luke here, and we'll quickly just talk about what's going on, because as we read it, you'll see when we read, you're like, I don't really know what's going on here. Look at uh, verse 22. Starting in verse 22, we'll go, I don't know why I said up to verse 24. We're going to start in verse 22 and go to 25. It says this, and when the time came for their purification... According to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name, whoa, 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 hold on, stop right there. I did want to stop at 24. (laughs) Don't keep going. Close your eyes. Stop. Read 24 with me again. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this is the way the Old Testament law was laid out. Focus back up here. We'll get it back under control here. For the people. The people regarding uh, purity and redemption and everything. You can read about this if you want to take notes and you want to go home and read about this. You can read about this in Leviticus 12 and Numbers 18. But just for the sake of time... And making it clear, you're just going to have to trust me uh, or go home and read it yourself like that's going to happen. And I'm just going to talk specifically about if a male baby is born. The female, uh, if a female baby is born, it's different. So we're just going to talk about a male baby here because Jesus was a great. What was he? A male. There we go. So this female, a female, this is how the law worked. A female has a child. Yes, we agree about this. A female has a child. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. A female has a child. A female has a male child, because we're just going to talk about males specifically. A female has a male child, and the woman becomes unclean for seven days. And then on the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. And then... For another 33 days after that, 
the woman remains ceremonially unclean. So she's not to touch anything sacred. She's not to go to the sanctuary until a total of 40 days is up. And so at the end of 40 days, the law says, this is what you're to do. You're to go to the temple and you're to offer an offering of a lamb and a pigeon or a dove. But if you're poor, and evidently it looks like Mary and Joseph were because they only offered two birds. If you're poor, the law says, it's okay, just offer two doves or two pigeons and you're good. Two birds, no problem. If you can't afford a lamb and a bird, just offer two birds. And I don't know how they decide that. They just hold you to the honor system. Hey, if you can't afford a lamb, offer two birds and no problem, you're clean. And so after that offering, they go to the temple at the end of 40 days Uh, One of the animals is a sin offering. One of the animals is a burnt offering. They say, okay, great, good work. You're ceremonially clean. Have a nice day. So that's how you get ceremonially clean for a woman after she gives birth to a male. Now, also what was to be done for every firstborn male, whether human or beast, is to be offered to the Lord as a way of saying, Lord, this is yours. Everything I have is yours. You've given to me. Now I offer it back to you. Now, there are some exceptions to this rule. If the animal is unclean or if the animal is a human. So instead of offering the firstborn male at the altar, you're to pay the redemption price of five shekels. And okay, great, you're good to go. Have a nice day. And so this is what's going on here as they go to the temple. And this is important to the life of Jesus Christ. This is important to our theology and understanding of the ministry of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't have to be redeemed. Yet at the same time, he had to be redeemed. Does that make sense? Not really, does it? On one hand, Jesus wasn't a sinner. He wasn't born into sin. So he didn't have to be redeemed. Yet at the same time, he had to be redeemed. Jesus didn't come into this world to laugh and mock in the face of the law. Rather, we know that he came to fulfill the law. Jesus came as fully man, identifying with sinners, yet fully God as an unblemished lamb to be led to the cross for your sins and for mine. In Jesus's perfect life, he fulfilled the moral law. And in Jesus's sacrifice, he fulfilled the ceremonial law. The redemption of price of Jesus didn't have to be paid as he was fully God, Yet it had to be paid because he was fully man. And I'm telling you, you could sit and have a long tea and thought about the whole idea of fully man and fully God. So that's what's going on here. Mary needed to offer a purification offering and Jesus' parents needed to pay the redemption price for Jesus. So they stroll into the temple like we just read and look at what happens in verse 25 as they're going into the temple says this, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. 32, a light 
for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So this is the second human witness we see after the birth of Jesus, Simeon. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation meaning to alleviate grief or, or comfort. Simeon was waiting for the comforter of Israel. And this is amazing what the Holy Spirit reveals to him, that he would not see death until the Lord's Christ, the anointed one, comes, until he lays eyes upon him. And now remember at this point, the helper hadn't yet been been come upon the earth to dwell in the people. We take for granted nowadays the fact that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us, guiding us, leading us to Jesus. But this man, Simeon, he had the Holy Spirit upon him. He's guided into the temple, and he utters this great prophecy over Jesus, recognizing that this young baby is the comforter of Israel, and not only that, but a light to the Gentiles, which would have been a crazy thing to say then. Verse 32 It's pretty amazing what Simeon says, but he goes on as he looks to Mary. He says this in verse 33. He says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So it isn't all nice and rosy prophetic words by Simeon. He blesses them and he looks to Mary and he says, this child is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. A sign that is opposed, literally meaning a target that people shoot at, which we have to this day, don't we? Jesus is a target that people shoot at. And a sword will pierce through your own soul too, Mary. Watching Jesus die on that cross will absolutely devastate you. This boy that you're carrying in your arms, man, it's the best thing to happen to this world, but it's gonna be the worst thing to happen to you. It's gonna utterly devastate you in times to come, Mary. And we know that Jesus' mother, as, as Jesus is hung on the cross, Jesus' mother has to stand there and watch as he gives up what she thinks is his last breath. Let's keep going. The third human witness. Also in the temple, very quickly after Simeon here, verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The proper response at the sight of Jesus, Anna gave thanks and began speaking to him, speaking of him to all who were willing to listen. Three different human witnesses of this baby Jesus Christ. Three very different people, yet three very similar responses. We had the shepherds in the field, dirty, unclean, lowest of the social hierarchy, worth nothing to society. At the sight of Jesus, they're glorifying and praising God and sharing with anyone who will be willing to listen to them. 
We had Simeon, who was a man led by the Spirit, in touch with the spiritual realm, led to and fro. He puts eyes on Jesus, and Simeon blesses God and gives thanks for fulfilling his word. We have Anna, a prophetess who's diligent and habitual, fasting and praying every night and day at the temple. I like to think, I like to think maybe she'd be reading her scriptures a lot too, reading the Tanakh regularly. And upon sight of Jesus, what does she do? Man, she gives thanks to God and she begins speaking of him to anyone willing to listen. The proper response to Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving and evangelism. Look at verse 39. Actually, let me do this. Let me tell you about Jesus. First, let's give thanks to Jesus, just how good he is, man. Jesus is awesome. As we stand here and worship Jesus, Jesus is just the best thing to ever happen to this world. We give thanks to Jesus just for what he's done for us. We give thanks to Jesus for how he just holds our whole life together. And we look back and see the things that Jesus has done for me, for you, and Jesus is so good. And we share the good news of what Jesus has done for us, man, that Jesus came to this earth as a baby, born in a manger, suffering from birth, had to be laid in a rock manger, maybe carved in the wall, this manger that he was laid in, and, and suffering from birth, yet he was, came to identify with us. And, and as he grew up, he was led to the slaughter like an unblemished lamb that he was when should have been you and me. And, and, and he gave up his spirit on that cross, and then three days later he raised again, and man, praise the Lord. Amen? And it says in the Bible, all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And what a gift that we have been given with this new covenant through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 39. It says this, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Just as a side note here, I'm just going to say this quickly. This is a great prayer to pray over your children, parents. Verse 40, pray they become strong, pray they become filled with wisdom, and pray that the favor of God would be upon them. If you're looking for something to pray, just pray that over your children. Quick, easy, simple, the Lord will hear you. Look at verse uh, we're going to get into verse 41, but before we do, we know that this part is, um, this is the only part in the Bible where we see Jesus as a young boy coming up, actually. We have stories of him being born, even up to like the age of one or two in the book of uh, Matthew, we have some stories of that. Uh, but this is the only story in, in verse 41 in the Bible where he's, he's around 12 years old. Well, you might say he was 12 years old, as the scripture says, not even around 12. The word says he was 12. So that's a fact. <laughs> so let's take a look. They're going to uh, Jerusalem for the Passover when he's 12 years old. Uh, in verse 41, we're actually going to read right to the end a big chunk of scripture here, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 41, the only uh, reference in the Bible of Jesus as a young boy, says this, Now his parents 
went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So in those times, they would travel in caravans, large caravans together. The Passover feast was a major festival, major, major important time. And it, it still is even to this day. Um, and so all the Jewish people from all over, if they only had enough money to go to Jerusalem for, or only enough money to make one trip out of the year, this would be the feast they would go to, the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And they go and participate in the Passover feast. And so large groups of people would go together, safety in numbers, I guess. Um, but as they're returning home, Mary and Joseph kind of like Home Alone style, I think. They figure he's with them. They figure Jesus is with them. And then a day's journey later, they realize, oh, they do the count and they're missing one. <laughs> and oh, great, you lost Jesus, the Messiah. Couldn't give him a phone call. Roman technology at that time was good, but it wasn't quite that good. And let me tell you this. Um... I still remember this to this day. Let me tell you a little story about me because I know you all want to know about me. I was about 15 years ago. I'm in youth group. Our fearless leader, Pastor Matt, is my youth group leader. Um, and back then, Xbox was big. We were into playing Halo. And so I vividly remember one night after youth group, me and another, uh, whatever, youth are playing video games after youth. In, we actually, when we went out to, we used to go to Calvary Chapel, Davis Bay there. And uh, so we're in the church building, we're playing video games, it's after youth group, it's me, it's another guy, it's Matt. We're playing video games. It gets to be about 11 o'clock and Matt goes, hey, do you want to call your parents and just let them know that I can give you a ride home and it's no problem? I go, I go no, it's fine. They'll probably asleep anyways. About an hour later, Matt goes, are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to call? It's midnight at this point. He goes, are you sure? I go, no. Like, it's fine. They're asleep. They trust you. <laughs> they know you'll get me home safe. Well, friends, I vividly remember the look to this day at about 1 a.m. as the door to the church building opens, and I look over, and there's none other than my dad, looking at me, and I don't think you've ever seen 
baby Blakey move as fast as you have at that point? As they had to come searching for me, we lived in Gibson's and it's, you know, 15 minute drive out there. And I'm telling you, the drive home was the quietest you've ever heard. Talk about being sore afraid. Man, was I ever sore afraid. I get the spiels, I get home, you could have been dead in a ditch. It's always being in a ditch. You're always dead in a ditch. You're not dead anywhere else. You're always dead in a ditch. Now imagine being a journey's away, no cars, no phones. And it's not just average Blake, it's the Jesus Messiah that they've lost. (laughs) And they get back to Jerusalem and they eventually find Jesus in the temple. After looking for three days, it says, they find him in the temple. So I don't know what Jesus was doing at this point. He must have been in the temple for this whole time. They find Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking questions, and the teachers are amazed at his understanding and his answers They didn't realize they were literally talking to the word. And so Mary comes to Jesus. She says, what's going on? We've been searching high and low for you. And look at Jesus' response, verse 49. He says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. How much did Jesus know? It's always a fun question kind of to think about. I don't have an answer. Was he omniscient from birth? Was it when the Holy Spirit came upon him at his baptism? Did he get things revealed to him bit by bit as he grew up? I I don't know. I I don't have an answer. It's just a fun thing to think about. I'd love to hear your answers tonight at prayer, what you think about it tonight at 7 o'clock. Bring your thoughts and comments on what you think. Though Mary was confused by what Jesus says, Scripture says Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. So Luke chapter 2, an amazing look of eyewitness accounts at the life of Jesus before his three years of intense ministry began. Luke goes through an orderly account of human witnesses who testify to the title and lordship of this baby that has been born in a little town in Bethlehem. And so just to land the plane, I just want to leave you with these few points. As the worship team comes up, we're going to sing one more song. Um... I'm just going to leave you with these three things. If you're a note taker, actually, there's two sets of three things. If you're a note taker, write these down. If not, good luck. (laughs) The first is this. What is the proper acknowledgement of Jesus? To address and understand Jesus the same way that the angels professed it to the shepherds. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus is the Lord. And secondly, what is your proper response to Jesus? First is to give thanks, and out of your thanksgiving will come the overwhelming desire to spread the good news to others. Amen. Will you stand with me as we pray? Lord, we just give thanks for who you are this morning. We just uh, praise your name that we have all these eyewitness accounts of the goodness of Jesus and that your word came true just as it was said it would. There's no doubt in our mind that you did what you said you would do. And for that, we praise you this morning, Lord.
And we just give thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. We bless you. We put you in the title and honor that you're worthy of being in at the highest of high, the King of Kings, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You are the Lord. And we just praise your name this morning. Amen. Mm-hmm.